So welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. And, you know, we need a bit of that at the moment. So today I'm speaking to Bastian Lindbergh, who's co-founder of A Tribe Called Humans, a collective of free-ranging humans with individual capabilities who believe and what works better for people works better for business. So A Tribe Called Human is only a few months old, and Bastian has a fascinating background in the world of brands, including leading human-centred marketing at Deutsche Bank and brand and communications at Telefonica Germany. So welcome, Bastian. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for joining us today. Great being here. Thanks. So I just want to ask, uh, it'd be great to ask you a few questions and get your thoughts and ideas, fascinated by, um, you know, your experience in the world. So really want to kick off with, you know, what's been your boldest business idea to date? Well, probably pretty much uh, the one that you just <laughs> introduced, because this is like really my first, um, the first own business or kind of idea that I'm trying to build. Um, before that, I've always been uh, employed, you know, by by companies and, and agencies. So that's really the boldest idea so far that we're having. And it is that belief that the future of business uh, is human because what works better for people works better for business. So that's the kind of fundamental belief at the heart of it, um, which was just born out of, you know, 15 years corporate experiences that I've had. <laughs> So is there any sort of like uh, values or superpowers that you believe that, you know, a tribe called human stands for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're trying to be pretty much an antidote to just the traditional, um, you know, corporate business model, which is um, pretty much directed by policies and processes and so on. And, and we really try to be ourselves a human first organization, which is also what we're trying to help businesses um to to become um having said that that's a kind of always beta <laughs> state for us because we don't know exactly what that is and how that works but we're exploring it every day and i think one of the core um you know belief for us is, is that being a human first organization is really about utilizing our human superpowers um, which we actually have and which we kind of lost on the way i think when we started to become those those big um, corporate organizations and those those three things are empathy reason and creativity and um, you know those are the kind of human capabilities that we all bring to this world and um, I think as, as businesses as organizations we we just need to become better at um, unlocking them again and um, I mean I could talk a bit more about each one of them um, I suppose, what does, that, what does that mean for a brand's customers? You know, empathy, mm. reason and creativity. What does that mean for customers, do you think? How How is that going to help, you know, people more? Yeah. So the core thing is expressed also in that core idea, you know, like what works better for people. So I think if, if businesses, if brands start shifting from making people want things to making things that people actually want, we as consumers will be in a much better place because we'll actually get products and services that create real value in our lives, you know, that really help us to, um, you know, achieve what we're trying to do. And um, on the other hand, also will be better aligned with our values. They will, um, you know, just 
businesses will strive to create something beyond profit, um, which actually really has kind of value in this world. So I think that's really the fundamental benefit for um, for us as consumers is that we can just expect things that are much more relevant um, and that also have better experiences using them. You know, I think there's some some shocking numbers around how actually unsatisfied consumers generally are with experiences that brands provide. So, you know, you worked with some um, of the you know world's biggest sort of banking and telecommunication companies. What did you mm-hmm. take from this experience that you mm-hmm. can bring into your new business? Mm. Um, a lot. I mean, I think, you know, without those experiences, I wouldn't have uh, made, uh, come to the point to make that decision. And I think um, the two sectors are very different, but there are some similarities. And the, the one is, I think that, Um, the bigger organizations get, I think they more become focused on themselves rather than actually the people they do business for. I think that's in a way maybe a natural because I've seen it everywhere. I've also seen it on the agencies that I've worked with is that uh, actually I think it was the uh, Gilvis here who, who once said that if they lost every client today, it would take them a year to realize you know? <laughs> so because everybody's just so busy with their own processes and just kind of managing um, the day-to-day. And I think that's that shift of attention really has resulted in just a lot of kind of poorly functioning services and, and mediocrity, I think also. And um, I think that it's also led to just this obsession with, um, with profit and with just kind of building value for the company and not really for the people they're doing business for, so the consumers, but also the people I think that work for the organization, you know, I think they're a very fundamental mm-hmm. part in the equation. I think even them, they've been kind of often um, taken out of the picture and not really seen as a, um, you know, as a potential. I mean, we talk about human resources. I really don't like that term, you know, because mm-hmm. it sounds like people are just something that we manage. Like and, a battery. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a battery, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think that is, that is ultimately the potential of, of an organization. Yeah. Uh, I t- I, yeah, I can absolutely see your, uh, your process. And I think in the world of tomorrow, um, the post-COVID world, I, I just feel that people feel like they're a lot more, you know, vulnerable you know, to the shift and the change and it becomes a lot more sort of, you know, difficult for people to adjust and everything like that. You know, Mm. everybody wants us to, you know, everybody wants things to stay the same and they really struggle to change. So I suppose, um, you know, what what do you feel like you've learned along the way? Do you feel like, you know, you've, um, you've, you've grasped from, you know, these big businesses that now you're taking into, you know, the human um, element? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the vulnerability is a key key thing, I think, and, and you know, it's also very related to that superpower of empathy. I think if you're um, if you're really empathetic, then you are generally able to just put yourself in other people's position. But that also means that you are willing to accept that yourself, you know, you're kind of not perfect, and, and you're opening up, and you can share it. And I think that is a huge driver for productivity and creativity in organizations. Actually, you know, kind of really dealing more openly. Um, with uh, also those tensions, and um, I think if you if you look at it like that, you'll ultimately start doing things that are more designed from kind of an outside in perspective rather than an inside out. And I think it's also related to 
this whole idea of becoming a learn-it-all organization instead of being a know-it-all organization. I think it's something that, um, you know, if you read about the transformation of Microsoft and so on, that um, I find quite amazing how they're looking at that, that, you know, I think our traditional management mantra is like, you have to be the kind of smartest and strongest person in the room. Um, but actually, if, if that is the case, then you will start designing a culture where people will not really speak up, where the best ideas will not be shared, where people are holding back. And I think over the long term, that, that just accu accumulates in um, an organization standing still because it's not evolving anymore. And, um, you know, I think vulnerability is a very key um, component of that. And I think only if also we as leaders start modeling that behavior more, we'll invite others to actually um, really share and, 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 you know, express their thoughts and their feelings and all that, that stuff. And I think that is very fundamental if we want to be a business that is able to respond quickly to stuff that's happening around us, you know, like, I mean, look at this crisis, you know, and I think um, we will see that those companies will succeed, I think, that will um, be very open and receptive to just ideas and thoughts that come from everywhere, whether it's customers or your employees. Um, but I think the times where we can assume that we know it all, they're gone because we don't know what's coming ahead. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of, um, you know, what would you say is then the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? I can I can remember that very clearly. It was a couple of years ago when I worked with a um, with a personal coach, um, just kind of transitioning into my new role at Deutsche Bank. And one of the things that he really made me understand is that idea of really leading by questions. So kind of not going into this new organization and going into a new job, um, assuming that I have to know all the answers, you know, and immediately tell people what I think we should be doing. But actually going there and really kind of with a with a curious and inquisitive mindset and you know asking a lot of questions, really understanding um, the organization and the people, and that actually wasn't really easy because I had quite a few moments where I went into a meeting and you know it was maybe with somebody who's more senior than me, and you could just feel their expectation that you're just going to tell them now um, what you think we should be doing. And that was like in the second week of my <laughs> of being there, you know. So that's that's totally unrealistic. But on the other hand, that's the kind of pressure you feel. And I actually think it's quite. Um, we need to learn that to really focus more on asking questions and not knowing the answers or making up the answers because we feel we need to give one. And I think that way we can also lead, um, you know, teams and employees to a point where you know they will start looking for the answers. And I think if, if you accumulate that over, you know, the whole population of a big organization, you have such a creative potential and, you know, great ideas will just kind of bubble, start to bubble up. And I think then the job of management is to, you know, set the frameworks to evaluate those ideas and pick the best ideas, but not to kind of tell everyone what to do and, and what the best thing to go forward is. No, I love that. It's a bit like catching butterflies, isn't it? I mean, how do you, how have you done that in the past? How have you sort of, 
you know, if there's lots of people, lots of great ideas, how have you sort mm. of like captured those great ideas? Because I think you're right. At the moment, the world we're in, it's all about, okay, we, we, have, we can learn a bit from the past and the data that's been given. But I think mm. a lot of it's going to be thinking fast on our feet. It's going to be about new ideation, new thinking, new ways of working. You know, how do you see that being captured in big organizations and when, uh, within what you're doing now? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we know we, we like to talk about the second superpower, which is reason, which sounds strange. And a lot of people say, well, but businesses are very rational, you know? And I think actually quite rarely they really are because if they would be like really rational, they would do exactly what you said. You know, they'd be relying heavily on data and, and um, kind of insight and true information. But I've experienced it so many times in meetings that People would even doubt or question the stats, you know, that you would put in front of them and say, well, yeah, but I think it's different and so on, you know, although the data clearly shows that. And I think overcoming those those biases, you know, the confirmation bias or, or um, this kind of non-invented here syndrome and those, all those kind of things, I think needs to, um, needs better frameworks in, in terms of how we um debate and, and decide in organizations and i think that um you know it's really human in a way to to have those biases but putting egos aside and really making sure that the best ideas um succeed i think is one of the the key differences of very successful organizations to maybe more mediocre organizations and um i think that's hard i don't have the kind of recipe to do that but i think what it needs more is is a collaborative mindset in an organization you know and and also probably related to the kind of human centered idea to have a mindset where and i think that like steve jobs said that um you know it's about making the right thing it's not about being right and i think um really managing and facilitating kind of a decision-making process that this can happen, I think for me is, is the key. Now, how exactly you do that, I think that's going to be very different in, in, in every organization and what the uh, um, operating system, so to say, is. But I think it's got a lot to do with just <clears throat> leaving the ego um, <laughs> outside of the room, you know, in a way, um, because I think that gets in the way of better decision-making mostly. Have you got any specific examples of that from Deutsche Bank? I mean, because obviously, you know, in your very corporate experience and amazing experience you've had, which is very sort of KPI driven and performance and you get a role, you get a job description, you get, you know, performance targets, everything. You know, how does that work? Because that's very much about the you rather than the the we collective, you know, because you're judged by that rather than, you know, how does that work? Yeah. Uh, different approaches, you know. The, the one is, I think, bring the voice of the customer into the into the process, you know. And and like, if you're coming up with new ideas, test them, get feedback, and put that feedback in front of the people who make the decisions, um, and let them experience kind of how consumers are responding to those ideas. I think that generally already gives a better idea of what the reality mm. is, and and so on. So that that's one very important part. So we started to develop um, kind of a, a co-creation lab where we would regularly kind of co-develop, but at least also uh, just test prototypes and ideas um, with customers. I think that's that's one important way you could do that. Um, the other one, I think is also 
in terms of how you're setting up projects internally. And I think this idea of collaboration doesn't can't start when it's about making decisions. This needs to start when you know it's about exploring potentials, when it's about coming up with ideas and really bringing together diverse teams where they start working on solutions right from the start across different departments and silos is, is fundamental because then you can also ensure that you have the buy-in mm -hmm. from different parts of the organization um, along the way. And I think that ultimately helps to align people around kind of, you know, shared objectives. Um, and I think that's the kind of last point. I think this whole idea around, you know, call it purpose, call it kind of shared vision, but just really having this alignment around a big idea that is also bigger than just making money and profit, you know, it's something that really helps because if people are buying into that and if everyone wants to achieve that, then I think you have ultimately a better foundation for creating alignment and then making the right decision rather than just kind of people looking where their individual benefits lie. Mm. No, I love that. I think having a purpose as an organization is is really massive and not only having it, but actually living it and sort of really, really sort of feeling it and having it ingrained. So if you look forward in a, in a year's time at your life, um, hmm. where do you see yourself being and what does success look like for you? And how optimistic are you that you're going to get to that point? <laughs> uh, starting maybe from, I'm very optimistic um, because I love what I'm doing. Um, I think it's you know, um, on the one hand, important, um, but on the other hand, it's also just a much more fun way to work. So <laughs> I don't want to go back. And, um, you know, we're not we're not in this to necessarily be massively commercially successful very quickly, you know, as long as we kind of can pay the rent from that and so on. It's really something that we believe in um, as a kind of bigger purpose. And success for me really looks like that in a year from now, I want to be able to say that we've touched a few organizations, you know, and helped them to start making small changes because it's not going to be this one quick fix, you know, and, and changing the mindset and the operating system of an organization is going to be a very long transformation journey. Um, and I see ourselves as kind of contributing to that, um, to that journey, rather than you know us bringing the one solution. And I also second part of that is I just want to have increased um, you know the network of collaborators. So the whole idea of a tribe, obviously, is we're not a traditional agency or consultancy. So you know we don't strive to have a lot of employees. We actually want to be big network of of independent people who collaborate, um, but also collaborating with other interesting companies who are, you know, sharing similar uh, visions and, and purpose. And it's a bit like, you know, climate change or so. The, the more people who will kind of get engaged in a mission to change something about it, I think the better it will be. So that's kind of how I see it for, for ourselves. Um, so those are the two, the two things. And um, being just looking at myself a year from now, I've, probably want to have had a lot of conversations like this one with you and, and just feel that in at least a small part, I've kind of made my contribution to a bigger change that's happening around a more kind of human-centered business world and economy. So do you think the world needs some bold thinking at the moment? <laughs> 
Absolutely, I think always. You know, um, <laughs> the thing with uh, with with creativity is that I think it's often perceived as a risk in many businesses. You know, um, I mean, it, it comes with this <laughs> with this assumed um, loss in a way that if we buy into something that we don't know yet what exactly it's going to bring, um, I think that puts a lot of people off. So I think for great ideas to thrive, there always needs to be some kind of courage and boldness. And especially since now I think everything that's coming ahead is so unknown and, you know, you need a lot of people with who dare to go into the unknown and just explore things and, and also be able to screw up and fail and, and, you know, have that vulnerability again, that um, some things might not work and learn from that, that, yeah, boldness is going to be very key. It's interesting. I worked with um, a big bank last year and then got a survey. I think it was someone like Accenture or something. And uh, the MD from the bank was talking to me and said, you know, this time four years ago, these are the 12 things that we look for in our candidates. And, um, you know, where do you think creativity ranked? It was literally mm -hmm. not on the list. And mm -hmm. he said, we had this list through um, recently and creativity ranked as number three in the traits they were looking for out of new um, sort of people in their organization. And I just clapped my hands with joy. <laughs> yeah. Because I think we've got to reimagine the world creatives have, haven't we, to a degree, and redefine and, and get things. And I don't just mean creatives in creative ideation. I mean creative in terms of thinkers, business thinkers like you, an entrepreneur that wants to create a movement. Mm. You know, I think mm. that's really important. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, I totally believe in that uh, as well. I'm definitely consider myself a kind of evangelist for creativity in organization. But the interesting thing is that you you have, I've heard it so many times that, you know, managers say, of course, like we want more creativity and we want more ideas and please everybody, you know, share ideas and we're very open to that and so on. And they might have even some interesting, I don't know, incentives for that. But for me, what I realized is that the, really fundamental thing about being a more creative organization is not hiring creative people because you can make a lot of creative people become very uncreative or just <laughs> <laughs> scare them away very quickly if you don't create the conditions for creativity yeah, to really thrive and i think that comes back to also what you mentioned early on you know creating this psychological safety in an organization and this openness um and um uh you know i think to a lot of leaders a new idea in the first moment is almost a bit like an offense, you know, because it, it didn't come from them. It kind of says, you know, you hadn't had the right idea before and so on. And of course it's nonsense, but I think that's how quite um, a lot of people feel about it. And I think this is what we need to change. Um, so I encourage all those organizations, yes, hire more creative people, but you also need to create the conditions for creativity to really uh, thrive and occur and, and also you know, the courage, then, as you said uh, earlier on, to follow up with those ideas, mm. you know, and, and dare to take some bets. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. I've had it a few times happen in my life and I sort of describe it as being, I, I describe myself as a creative and a creative thinker. And a few instances in life, I felt like I've been a bit of a bird that's been put in a cage, you know, because mm -hmm. of the environment that I've been wrapped in. And uh, when I know I'm a bird in a cage, I, I pretty much know that journey's ended. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I think it feels like you're quite quite similar. Mm. Um, look, that was brilliant. Thanks so much, Bastian. I absolutely love the way you think and your thought process and the idea for this movement. Um, so thank you for your time today. And so thank you for listening to Bold Thinking, which is all about entrepreneurial stories honestly told. So join us next time to hear from more people making positive change in the world. Thank you, Bastian. I love that. It was really good. Really inspiring. Thank you.